I'm sure some of you have heard this story, but it was a foggy night, and uh, the captain of the battleship was having a difficulty maneuvering, um, trying to find his way back into the harbor, and as he looked, he was surprised to see uh, the lights of another ship uh, cutting through the fog, and so he wanted a radio uh, because it looked like they were on a crash collision course. So he radioed to the other ship. He says, listen, uh, you need to change your course 10 degrees to the north because we're getting ready to have a collision. And of course, the, uh, the, the signal came back, no, you change your course 10 degrees to the south. Well, th- this got him a little flustered. And he says, listen, I, I'm a captain of the United States Navy. You need to, to change your course 10 degrees to the north. Uh, the, uh, the response came back, and, and I'm an ensign in the Navy. You need to change your course 10 degrees to the south. And at this point, he's just really mad. And he says, listen, I am a battleship. You need to change your course 10 degrees to the north. And the response came back, and I'm a lighthouse. You need to change your course 10 degrees to the south. Now, that, that, that exemplifies this idea of authority. Like, who, who gets to have authority, right? Where, where do they get that authority? Oh, we, we live in a culture where you, it's very common to hear, you're not the boss of me. I don't have to do what you tell me to do, um, especially in the Western culture where we're used to, you know, having rights and you, the government cannot come in and just tell me what to do and take over stuff because I have my rights. And because of that, it's very, very difficult for humanity to submit to authority. And yet, here's the deal, as Christians, as Christ followers, uh, the whole idea of lordship is, is part of who we are as we submit ourselves to the Lord's authority. But it really is, is about having a different perspective, the correct perspective about what authority is. Now, what I'm talking about is exemplified in the book of Matthew chapter 7. Uh, You see, Jesus was teaching, and it says that when he had finished saying all of these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, and that was actually the Sermon on the Mount, because he taught with real authority, not uh, quite unlike their teachers of the religious law. You you see, people understood that just because you are in a position of authority doesn't mean that you understand what real authority is all about. Something about Jesus' teaching about his manner of teaching, he displayed this real authority. And so really the kind of authority that God has in store for us is not tyrannical, not do this because I just told you to do it and there's really no reason. There's actually a benefit for those being led. The kind of authority that Jesus taught with was different, obviously different from the religious leaders of the day. And then in the next few chapters of the book of Matthew, we find out how Jesus does exercise authority over sickness, over nature, over demons. And in chapter 8, there's actually a great, almost like a treatise about what the kind of authority that God has designed for us to understand. As Jesus encounters a Roman officer, a centurion, who comes to him with a problem. Matthew chapter 8, when Jesus returned to Capernaum, A Roman officer came and pleaded with him, Lord, my young servant lies in bed, paralyzed and in terrible pain. Jesus said, well, I will come and heal him. But the officer said, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come into my home. Just say the word from where you are and my servant will be healed. 
I know this, he says, because I'm under the authority of my superior officers and I have authority over my soldiers. I, I only need to say go and they go or, or come and they come. And if I say to my slaves, do this, they do it. Well, when Jesus heard this, he was amazed. And in another uh, translation, it says he was astonished. There's only twice, by the way, in the Gospels where it says Jesus was astonished at something. And they both had to do with faith. When he was in his hometown, Nazareth, they didn't have faith in him. And so he was astonished at their lack of faith. And here, this Roman, not even a Jew, was putting his faith in Jesus and what he could do and in the authority that Jesus had. So Jesus was amazed. Turning to those who were following him, he said, I tell you the truth, I haven't seen faith like this in all Israel. Then Jesus said to the Roman officer, go back home, because you believed it has happened, and the young servant was healed at that same hour. You see, at the heart of this passage here is the idea of authority, that authority matters. The officer knew it. He understood it. He had authority over soldiers. He could command them to to do what he wanted them to do. So in his mind, he knew that Jesus had the authority to say, your servant is healed because all things have been put under Jesus's authority, not just in the physical world, but in the spiritual world as well. And so now we come to this idea of Jesus's authority as we see it in the church. So I want you to take your Bibles and go to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. We're going to look at a passage where Paul is kind of piggybacking on this idea of authority and leadership and shows how Jesus's authority is supposed to be played out within the body of Christ. We're going to pick it up in verse 14 of 1 Corinthians 4, where we read this. I am not writing this, Paul says, to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. And even though you have 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. For this reason, I am sending to you Timothy, my son, whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. Some of you have become arrogant, as if I were not coming to you. But I will come to you very soon, if the Lord is willing. And then I will find out not only how these arrogant people are talking, but what power they have. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. What do you prefer? Shall I come to you with a whip? or in love and with a gentle spirit. Now, let let me give you the context. Up to this point of of the book of 1 Corinthians, uh, Paul has been talking about uh, wisdom, godly wisdom versus worldly wisdom. He's talking about the gospel of, of Christ. He's talking then about how the church has become splintered as some people say, well, I like this guy as my leader. And some say, well, I like this guy as my leader. And some people didn't want anybody to be their leader. Okay, so Paul says, listen, we need to talk about authority as we find out how to live our lives within the context of the church. And there are three points that he makes here. First of all, we see that there is an authority that must be embraced, an authority to embrace. Now, when God created the world, he established a system of of authority to govern it. There was the, the, the greater light to rule over the day, the lesser light to rule over the night. But then, here's sovereign God, 
over all. He's got the authority over all. But then he says, listen, I want to share my authority. Now, if you've ever watched The Truth Project with Dr. Del Taggett, he talks about this shared authority in these spheres of our lives that God has said, yes, I'm in control. I am sovereign. I am the Lord. But I choose to share my authority in some measure with, the, with people. And so there he places in Genesis chapter 2, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. God could have easily said, Adam, I got this. I'm God. I'll, I'll take care of the world. He goes, no, 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 no. Yes, I, I could. But he says, Adam, I want you to share in my authority as you take dominion and take care of my creation. Well, then we see God sharing his, his authority through the government. Uh, in a passage that we really don't like at the very heart, Romans chapter 13. Well, let me read to you what uh, Paul reminds the believers there in Rome. And you got to remember who was in charge in Rome at the time, the Caesars. This is what he says. Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities. Oh. For there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, he who rebels against the authority, well, is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right. He will commend you, for he is God's servant to do you good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword for nothing. He is, again, God's servant, an agent of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities not only because of possible punishment, but also because of conscience. This is why you also pay taxes. Not my words. This is in the Bible. For the authorities are, check it out, God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give everyone what you owe him. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Now, I know that that's not a very popular passage today, but we see that the structure of authority actually is given to us to help us. How does it help us? Well, for those of us who are not used to uh, submitting to anybody, and we live our lives going, ha ha, you can't tell me what to do. Folks, that's a pretty immature attitude. Uh, it's the mature person that understands that there is a structure. And, and, and so God gives us even a shared authority through the government so that we can become mature as we understand that that structure is good to live under. He then gives us that kind of shared authority in the family, uh, as we see in Ephesians chapter 6, where Paul says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. That's the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy a long life on earth. I smile. I laugh whenever I read that because that was my mom's favorite passage to read to me. And I re she goes, Trey, you want it to go well with you? You, you want to live a long life? I brought you into this world. I could take you out of it. I realized when I was in my 30s, I realized that when mom sent me to my room before she spanked me, that wasn't the punishment. That was protection. Because if she had spanked me at the time that I had sassed off, 
to her, uh, I would have been dead. <laughs> I would not have lived long on the earth. But she said, yeah, Trey, listen, you, you want to live long? You better obey me. You better understand the structure of authority that God has established within the family. And so if all of these other spheres uh, display this shared authority, guess what? When you come to the church, God has done the exact same thing. But here's where I see the problems arising, especially in the American church. Because when it comes to uh, the Western church, people want kind of want to see this as an authority-free environment. Like, no, you, you, you can't tell me what. You're not my boss. I, I don't, you don't pay me. I, I, I'm here on my own volition. So therefore, when you tell me to do things, I don't have to do that because I'm an American and I got my rights and I got, I'm free. Well, when, when people come in and they own their own business, for example, and, and they, they're not used to having a boss and all of a sudden they, they hear from the church leadership that this is what we're going to do. Some people, I, in my experience, some people have had problems with that because they're not used to bowing their will and submitting their will to anybody, much less these guys at the church. Some people, they don't have any kind of influence in their spheres of life, and so they think maybe here in the church they can finally get control over something, right? I, I, I know guys who are preaching at churches now, and those churches have made up their mind that they will not be led. Folks, that's not a good place to be. That, in fact, that's not just a frustrating place to live. That's a sinful place to live. Uh, in Hebrews chapter 13, from the Bible, Hebrews 13, 17, uh, the, the, the author of Hebrews says, Obey your leaders and submit to their authority, unless you live in America. No, that's not what it says. Why? Why should we obey them? Because they keep watch over you as men who must give an account. See, they are in accountability to God. Obey them so that their work will be a joy and not a burden, for that would be of no advantage to you. And then we read in texts like Acts 20 and 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1 and 1 Peter 5, where God has set up this system of authority in the church, shared authority. And he's talking about those who serve in leadership as elders or pastors or deacons or deaconesses. And, and when you look at what he says to the, the church in Corinth, man, you, you realize, if you read between the lines, these, this church in Corinth was, was like anarchy was reigning. Paul had come to visit them. Now he was gone. And they thought, ha, now, now we can do whatever we want to do because he is gone. So Paul hears about this and approaches them in what seems like a harsh manner. And yet, he really is saying, I, I'm coming to you as a father. He had said, you, you might have 10,000 guardians, but you only have really one spiritual father. That's me because I became your father through the gospel. The, the harshness was not coming from a place of, of hate. It was actually coming from a place of love. It wasn't there to embarrass them, but to encourage them, showing them their error because he loved them. Folks, it's an amazing thing when you begin to realize that your leaders love you. Then, then it's not like, well, we have to do what Trey says because he's the guy in charge. No, I'm not, by the way, and I'll, we'll get into that. But, but as a leader, if I, if I say this is where we're going, you say, well, Trey just hates us. No, Trey, you know I love you, and I love serving as your pastor, and I, I love that we're in this together. Uh, Paul is coming at them with love. He feels this responsibility because he had shared the gospel with them. He had become like a father to them. 
And folks, whenever you get into a situation where, where you don't have the, the authority of the parent there anymore, you know what the kids do, right? You, you've got kids. You had kids at home. You know what, what happens when daddy or mommy doesn't, they don't watch the kids very closely? <laughs> I, I, some of you know that I have a daughter, 19 years old, named Donovan. Uh, we call her Scout. Let me tell you why. Well, back when we were working in Sacramento, we didn't have a church building, and so we had to work from our homes. So I was home a lot, and Donovan was like maybe two and a half, three years old, and so I got to watch her. Uh, My wife was working next door uh, for a photography business, and um, I was really enwrapped in my work that day, focusing in on that computer for probably hours, and all of a sudden it dawned on me how quiet it had, it had become for like way too long of a time. So I stopped my work finally and I looked and I saw some wisps of blonde hair on the floor. And then I saw some more a little bit further down the, the road and I, I realized there was a path of blonde hair on the ground. I, it didn't take me too long to put two and two together and I hollered out, Donovan! And I, I think this was like a um, self-preservation thing, like I got to confess. I, from, from the back bedroom, I heard, I cut my hair. <laughs> Duh. <laughs> Duh. I, actually, I, I just remembered the part of the story is while I was working, she, she kept saying, Lindsay has short hair. Yes, yes, Lindsay does. Lindsay has short hair. Yes, she does. Duh. I wasn't paying attention to my daughter. She had no parental authority. I, I ran next door knocked on the door, told my wife, I said, Donovan just cut her hair. She goes, yeah, how bad could it be? I said, you don't understand. I went back to the house. I filled up a gallon-sized Ziploc bag of hair, and I went back. I said, look! She, my wife's boss said, oh, my Lord. She's from Texas. Oh, my Lord. And, and uh, guess what was supposed to happen the next day? Pictures. So we had a lady in our church who was a hairdresser. We got to take Donovan to her, and she, was, she got this really short haircut. And if you've seen the movie, To Kill a Mockingbird, you'll know that Scout, uh, the, the main gal, had really short cropped hair, and that's how Donovan has become known as Scout, because there was no parental authority over her that day. Well, same thing can happen in a church, folks. Who, who knows? If there's not an authority from God in the church, then... Who, who, who says what can happen? Who knows what can happen? And so Paul says it's so important for there to be leaders in the church. And even he as the father would transfer that leadership into the elders and the pastors of those churches. Now here's where Americans have a problem with this. Because a lot of churches out there have tried to structure their, their, their systems with the same system as the American government. Now, I I love how the American government is set up with the three branches of government and checks and balances. I I love that. So I'm not getting down on that. But folks, that came way, way later from when God said, this is the way I want my church to be structured. And, and, And so we don't say, we the people, like we do in America, we don't say, we the people here in, in, in the church. Well, we're so used to having this representative government. We don't know what it's like to have a king rule over us. And so here's the potential problem. That's not how God designed the church to operate. 
So when somebody says to me after the, the elders have said, this is the direction we're going to go, this is what we're going to do, and somebody says, well, I didn't vote on that. Well, yeah, you did. No, I didn't. I, I did not have a ballot here. And I say, if you're a member of our congregation, an official member of our congregation, do, do you remember that annual meeting? Yeah, I remember the annual meeting. Or maybe I didn't go to the annual meeting, but I know that you had an annual meeting. Well, at that annual meeting, guess what the congregation is asked to do? They are asked to affirm what the leadership has put forth as our leaders for this next term. And so once a church says, yes, we affirm these leaders, well then guess what? In essence, we are saying we will obey the direction that that leadership is going to go. As long as those decisions are made according to God's word, not in direct opposition to Scripture, as long as the decisions are made in line with the New Testament principles of loving God, loving people, making disciples of all nations, then when those leaders are affirmed, yes, you did vote to to follow the leaders. You've trusted that they've committed their decisions to prayer and to the guidance of the Spirit and that they're not acting out of a sense of self-centeredness, that they're following God's Word and that they're leading as as God leads them. And so you say, well, I don't like our leadership. I I want to put in somebody that's going to represent me better. Well, there's a problem there too. Because it's not about popularity and you're going to have a say like you have, you might have a say in the Congress with a congressperson representing you. Guess what? Elders are, are committed to the leading of God rather than to the desires of the people. It's not a popularity contest. We When we install elders, we do not look for people who do the things that we want them to do. We put in men who do the things that God wants them to do. That's the difference. See, we have a king. We have a king. And it's not me. It's not me. And it's not our elders. You know where our king is. Jesus Christ is our king. The Lord God is our king. And the leadership of the church commits themselves to a shared leadership, being good stewards, being the managers of this church as God would want them to, as the king commands. That's what it means to have an authority to embrace. We're not embracing the authority of me. We're not embracing the authority of the elders as much as we are embracing the authority of God as he shares it with the leaders of our church. Second of all, we read in 1 Corinthians 4 that there is an example that we should follow. And this is now why it's so important to have leaders who lead and live in integrity. Because the idea of leadership isn't just so that we have somebody in charge to say, do this, do this, do this. We have to have leaders who will model for the congregation what it means to have faith, what it means to follow the Word of God, and what it means to live in integrity. And so there is an example that they set for us to follow. There in verses 16 and 17, Paul says, I urge you, imitate me. That means watch how I live. I've sent to you Timothy to remind you of the way I lived. Paul is encouraging them like a father to say, listen, you watched me. You've seen how I, what's important to me. You've seen how I live. I want you to follow me. Imitate me as I have followed Jesus. See, that whole idea of following and imitating godly leadership is big with Paul. We see it in 1 Corinthians 11. We see it in 1 Thessalonians 1, 2 Thessalonians 3, where he says, imitate me as I imitate the Lord. Now, I, I get it. 
I've been there. I've been sitting where you are sitting, listening to something like this. And I get it that there is an inherent risk in in putting your trust in somebody, in a man, in a woman, in in a person, in a human. There is a risk in deciding to follow somebody. People have gotten burned following leaders down the wrong paths. Entire churches have gone the wrong way by following men who are not leading out of truth. And so it's very important to watch our leaders to see that they are leading out of the truth. Hebrews chapter 13 says, Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. The author of Hebrews is is saying, listen, there's a way to test your leaders. And and first of all, by the word of God. Jesus' word has not changed from culture to culture, from age to age. What Jesus said 2,000 years ago still applies to you and I today. And so if what is taught by the elders or the leaders of the church does not line up with Scripture, they shouldn't be your leaders. I was just talking about this in, in, uh, in uh, Sunday school. You better be looking at this. So when somebody brings a meditation or somebody brings a sermon to you, you better be checking it out. Because <laughs> if it's not in here, folks, you need to call us out on that. Because we want to be leading from the Word of God. Second of all, it it talks about uh, their way of life. That's the the second test. You you test them by their way of life, how they live, the integrity by which they conduct themselves. If you have a bunch of leaders that say, do as we say, not as we do, they shouldn't be your leaders. Thirdly, you test them by faith. Boy, you can put a lot of great people into leadership who've got great human ideas, great human wisdom, a lot of business experience. But if they are not operating out of faith, if they're operating out of what they can do as men or as women, well then, why why are we here? Why why are we a faith-based organization? If our budget only is going to be what we think that we can do, then, then, then why are we even gathering here as a faith-based organization? Uh, you, you know, I think God can do a little bit more than what we can do. And we need to have leaders that operate in faith. And if they're not, they shouldn't be your leaders. Are they truly relying on God or are they relying on their own wisdom, viewpoints, and understanding? So it's so good to have leaders that we can test and know that they are leading in integrity and in faith. And though they might be leading us down a a pathway that you disagree with, as long as that pathway does not go against the Word of God, that is a lifestyle, a choice that we can make to to imitate this, this example, which means that if they have to do it, we need to follow in their footsteps which means if the Word of God is important to our leaders, the Word of God better be important to you. If integrity in life is important to our leadership, then integrity of life should be important to you. If living by faith is important to our leadership, living by faith should be important as well. Last thing is there is a choice to make. Man, if you read 1 Corinthians 4, Paul is just coming out swinging. It's like he's got a throwdown here. He says there in verses 18 through 21, some of you become arrogant. <laughs> now, now I'm, I'm sure they didn't like to hear that. But again, if a leader is leading out of love and comes alongside of you and says, you're, you're arrogant here, then, then maybe you should listen. He says, you're arrogant like I'm not coming back to you. 
that if I, I will come to you very soon, the Lord willing, and then I will find out how these arrogant people are talking and, 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 and what power they have. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. So here's your choice. You want me to come to you with a whip or in love and with a gentle spirit? You see, this whole idea of arrogance goes so much in the face of what God wants us to do as a congregation, as followers of our leaders. It's almost as if this church, when Paul left, they just said, now we can do whatever we want to do. He's not looking. We can do all the stuff behind his back. Now, let me, I want to commend you for a second. Um, October is always Pastor Appreciation Month, and you guys have shown great love to our staff, and I do thank you for that. Every day should be congregation um, appreciation for pastors, especially here. Because one thing about people who live in this area, you guys don't, don't talk behind backs, do you? Now, you guys are pretty straight shooters. I've appreciated that so much. When somebody's had a problem with something that I've said, I love the fact that you're in my office and you're talking to me. You're not writing anonymous little notes and going, ha, ha, ha. Because you know what we do with anonymous notes, right? You might have a great point, but if you haven't put your name on it, I can't have a conversation with you. Because you might have a great point. I might have a great point. Let's have a conversation. That's what adults do. And so I've appreciated this congregation because you are mature. You are loving. That's so refreshing. It allows us to actually talk things out like grown-ups should do. And I love the fact that we don't get the anonymous cards anymore. But apparently this church in Corinth, not like you guys. Not like you guys at all. They, they had not learned to do face-to-face confrontations. Paul's gone. Now they begin to grumble. Now they, they say, now we're going to take over. He's gone. And so he hears about this and says, wait a second. You guys are not understanding this whole idea of authority. So which do you want? You want me to come with a whip and make you understand? Or would you like me to actually have harmony and, and, and cooperation between the leadership and the, the people who are part of the church. You see, he says the kingdom of God is not about just talk. These guys are just talking a big game. He says, listen, if you want power in your church, you will learn to submit to the, to the leadership of the church. There is a choice to make. Will you live in submission to, to the authorities that God has put into place? Your choice will bring one of two consequences. Either there's going to be discipline coming your way, or there's going to be this partnership, your choice, says Paul. Last thing, and again, you love it when preachers say last thing. But if you go back to Hebrews 13, 17, it says, Obey your leaders, submit to their authorities. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy. Folks, you don't want to have leaders who are embittered because the, the congregation just refuses to follow. Folks, you have been a joy. I, I got to tell you, you have been a joy because of the love and the partnership that we have, that, that, that there is conversations going on, that there is no coup that's staged at, at, uh, at annual meetings, that, that there's this understanding that we can talk things out and understand each other. And I love that. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, because that would be of no advantage to you. Boy, if you, had, if you had leaders that you were just being stubborn against, they have to be stubborn back, and that doesn't bring anybody any advantage at all. And so I want to thank you 
I want to thank you for being the kind of church that is a joy to work at. I am blessed every day to be a part of this congregation.